Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Today, I'm joined by Mike Clay of ESPN, fresh off the fantasy football marathon. So, Mike, have you had a chance to sleep any the last week or so as you guys are ramping up your preseason work over there? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I have two <laughs> little kids as well. So, you know, oh, sleep man. is uh, inconsistent at best, you know, whether it's them climbing into uh, climbing into the bed and shuffling around in the middle of the night or waking up early for school or whatever it may be. So, uh, you know, it's up and down, but uh, we're doing good. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of grinding, especially the last few weeks, really it's all year round anymore. It's kind of crazy. It's Absolutely. A, yeah. certainly a full-time job, but um, yeah. So ready to go though. Season's uh, just about upon us here. Absolutely. So I had you on today mostly to talk about your opportunity adjusted touchdown research and the players that over and underachieved in those stats and, and why that really matters a lot for your fantasy drafts this season. But since we're fresh off of preseason's week two games, I think there were a handful of interesting news items that it's worth hitting on while you're here, Mike. So let's start with the most recent games from Monday night, last night when we were recording this. Uh, but we had Jameis Winston, who started the game for the Saints, completed nine of 10 passes through two deep touchdowns to Marquez Callaway. And the question, Mike, is did, did Jameis win the starting job for the Saints last night? I think so. I think that's the way the pendulum has swung uh, in the court of public opinion anyway, not to mention that he started that game, right? We would expect to see a lot of backups in uh, in the third game. So uh, he's outplayed him. He's the more conventional quarterback. And this would also open up the opportunity for Taysom Hill to be used as a essentially an offensive weapon rather than just a quarterback, which they kind of need, right? With Michael Thomas out, you know, they kind of yeah. need guys to make plays. So uh, I think it makes perfect sense for Winston to be the starter and he's playing well. Everything seems to be lining up that, that way. So uh, I would, I would guess yes. And I moved Winston up a little bit in my rankings. I think he could end up uh, being quite the value this year. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of been of the mind that whichever one of them won the, the job was going to be a pretty good value in fantasy drafts because Agreed. the uncertainty has both of them well, well outside of the top 20 and ADP. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, the last time Jameis played, what was he the number four or five quarterback, even in the 30 interception year in fantasy, Plus, you obviously would, with Taysom, we get the rushing and we get the rushing touchdown. So mm -hmm. now that we maybe have clarity, this is a player that you should probably start drafting and drafts, right? Yeah, I bumped him up uh, in my rankings to 24, which isn't crazy, um, mm -hmm. just because it's still not 100% sure. Uh, not to mention that he doesn't have a great supporting cast there. And, uh, you know, he's going to lose some snaps to Taysom Hill. And if he throws a bunch of picks, he could get the hook for Taysom Hill at some True. point. So there is still some risk in there, but once you get in, <clears throat> excuse me, once you get into Ryan, big Ben, Daniel Jones, Kirk cousins, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's right there. And honestly, you know, if we get, if he is named the starter, we get some clarity there. Maybe then you can even put him ahead of that group, but uh, no doubt that there's, there's certainly some week to week appeal here with Jameis Winston. And I think he'll be uh, he'll have his moments in DFS for sure. So that I think that was a big news story over the weekend. And then I would say that a lot of the other conversation centers on the rookie quarterbacks and how they've looked and I'm not going to make you go, you know, quarterback by quarterback here, but just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on whether any of the rookies have stood out to you or whether any of them sort of the timetables of when they might take over has changed in your mind over the last week or two. Uh, not really. I've had uh, the timetables pretty, uh, you know, pretty aggressive in terms of them taking over early because that's what league history tells us. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you look at the past decade, only one first round quarterback didn't play a snap. That was Jordan Love. And all it took for that, Scott, was, oh, hit the starter to win the NFL MVP. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it it's not a high bar for these guys to get onto the field. There's a reason teams traded picks and moved up and drafted these guys in the first round. They want them on the field. So um, fields week three for me. I think uh, that's probably the over-under is, is about week three. 
Uh, Trey Lance probably a little deeper. You know, it's going to depend mm-hmm. on how well San Francisco is doing. If they're winning games and you know they start out four and two, it might be harder for them to make that switch. But um, it's, I'm a little deeper on Trey Lance. I still think um, you know I have to look exactly what the number is here, but it's uh, actually I have him I have him taking over in week seven right now. So they have a yeah. week six bye. That's where I have them making the switch. Uh, Mac Jones. Um, we'll see now. I mean, with Cam Newton away from the team for a while here, it could be sooner rather than later. I had it at week eight. Again, I think New England's going to be a competitive team, and maybe Cam holds on for a while. But actually, we might have to move that timeline up a little bit uh, there on on Mac Jones. Uh, remember, he was deeper in the in the draft as well, you know, whereas some of these guys were, you know, top picks. So um, we'll keep an eye on it. But uh, you know, I, it's just a matter of time. Let's just put it that way. I think that's fair too. Like the one thing that's made me think a little bit differently was that maybe it looked like Cam Newton's throwing mechanics might've been improved a little bit. Like, again, we've been kind of monitoring his shoulder situation and whether or not that would ever kind of get right. And I'm, you know, tentatively optimistic that things are looking better for him this year, but Jones has looked so great too, that it's kind of hard to assume that either one of them is going to be an every week starter all year. But yeah, I mean, at this point, I think Cam is interesting enough that I would draft him late as like an early season option, but don't expect to have him ready for your fantasy playoffs for sure. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because uh, I think he's one of the best values in DFS week one. He's at home against Miami, a team that I think some people are probably going to be intimidated by their their defense, but they were number one in forced turnovers last year. That's not anything that, you know, we teams don't repeat in that category for sure. So you'll see some regression to the mean cam uh, QB 10 in my week one projections as of now. So, uh, and very cheap, very cheap over at drafting. So in a name to keep in mind. Perfect. Okay. A couple other stories, again, circling back to the Monday night game, actually Travis Etienne suffered what appears to be a Liz Frank injury. Uh, and in my memory, those have had very variable timetables where like the mildest cases, maybe it's only a week, but I think it's true that like Maurice Jones drew way back in the day, basically it ruined his whole season when he suffered an early list Frank injury. So maybe we don't exactly know what this means, but to say that if Etienne was going to miss some time, does, I mean, does James Robinson become like a very clear running back two in your mind in the short term? Uh, in 12 teamers. Yeah. I'd say backhand RB two. I mean, at some point as of now, or as of the time where we're filming this uh, you know, the expectation is not out. We, we don't have a timetable on ETN. So right yeah. now my estimation is, he misses a couple of games and then he's back in there and obviously would, would then play a pretty big role uh, in this Jacksonville offense. So um, Robinson, I moved him up to 23rd on my board. Uh, you know, he's, if you want to make the case that he's in there with a, a Jacobs Henderson Edmonds, that's totally fine with me. That's reasonable. That's about where he belongs. He's going, he was already going ahead of Edmonds, which I didn't yeah. necessarily agree with, but nonetheless, he's in that conversation. ETN, I moved down to right around 30. Uh, and, and again, we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, you know, we don't know for sure what the timetable is. Once we get that, we can uh, we can adjust a little more aggressively. Absolutely. And then the other player and another one, we don't really know exactly what this means yet. But Adam Troutman was carted off with a lower leg injury. He's a very popular sleeper tight end. He's receiving x-rays today. So we'll probably have more news in the next few hours, honestly. But I kind of just wanted this as an excuse to ask you about Jawan Johnson, Mike, since mm-hmm. he's a tight end in ESPN formats. I mean, I guess he's technically a tight end in real life now, but he was a wide receiver last year. Him being a tight end, I think, would probably make his fantasy value increase just given the, you know, the, the dearth of options at the position. But if, say, Troutman missed time, is, Jawan, is Johnson a player that you would consider taking a flyer on late in even maybe shallow leagues, or is, is that getting a little bit too carried away? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I actually uh, handle those designations at ESPN, so I was able to get in there early and make that switch mm-hmm. to tight end before we kind of hit our deadline. I'm not doing that anymore to cause issues with roster limits, so – we did get him in there as a tight end, which is good news that, you know, potentially he could have some uh, 
some fantasy appeal this year. We'll keep an eye on the Troutman injury, but honestly, I'm not sure it matters, right? Because his role really hasn't changed from last season, whereas Jawan Johnson seems to have stepped right into the Jared Cook role. Uh, and, and obviously that was the one that was fantasy valuable last season. Now, will that carry over to the regular season or are they just giving Johnson a look to see if he could handle it? And then maybe they'll expand uh, Troutman's workload in the passing during the season. It's hard to tell, but uh, right now, unfortunately, it looks like we might be headed down like a Tyler Higby sort of path here with, with yeah. Adam Troutman, maybe worse than that, which obviously has not uh, presented much fantasy value. So we'll keep an eye on it. We'll see what his injury timetable is and go from there. But for now, if you're in a two tight end league, if you're uh, in a deep league, a dynasty league, you want to throw Johnson on your bench. That's a good strategy. Absolutely. Well, everybody listening to us on the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast Network, thanks so much. But remember, you can catch us at 1 p.m. every Tuesday live on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. If you're in there now, you can ask me questions and ask Mike Clay questions. Uh, and there'll probably be some good opportunities for that as we're about to transition to the main topic for the day, talking about touchdown overachievers and underachievers from last year and what that should mean for you in your fantasy leagues. And Mike, the centers on opportunity to just touchdowns, my favorite bit of research you've done, I think a really revolutionary way to look at it. And why don't you just give like a brief explanation, boilerplate terms, what does an expected touchdown mean to you? And like, and, and you don't have to get into the calculations and everything, but like why it's important. Yeah, sure. So, and I've always called it OTD, opportunity adjusted touchdowns, probably a very convoluted name at this point when I could have just went with expected touchdowns, which is <laughs> kind of what I've been leaning toward. But yeah, um, nonetheless, uh, the idea is you just look at the location of, uh, you know, for a carry where, where on the field the carry takes place and what the odds of scoring a touchdown are for the, the average player from that location. And, uh, you know, obviously if you have a carry from the one yard line, you know, almost a roughly a 50-50 shot to get in the end zone, whereas if you're 10, 20 yards away, the odds are significantly yeah. lower. So that matters when you're calculating opportunity to score touchdowns. And then for pass catching, it's line of scrimmage versus uh, length from the end zone where you're targeted. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, we're just looking for an expected touchdown total for each player, whether it's play-by-play, week-by-week, season-by-season, and then we can kind of find over and under achievers and uh, see who we can expect some regression in the mean from. And, uh, you know, the history of this has been very kind. In fact, research that I did many years ago over when I was when I was at uh, Pro Football Focus showed me that, you know, touchdowns are not a talent stat. You know, targets in general are, snaps are, you know, that's mm-hmm. how you get on the field. But there's there aren't really many players who are consistently good at scoring touchdowns. And, you know, there are always exceptions for a brief period of time. You'll see your Rob Gronkowski's and Odell Beckham's and Greg Jennings, guys like that. And they'll keep it up. Ty- Tyree kills a guy right now in the midst of kind of breaking touchdown regression in the mean, and they can hold up for a while, maybe even three seasons. And then you see them come back to earth. Gronk, it happened with Gronk. OBJ was a guy I was torched after his third year for saying, or for having him projected for seven touchdowns. It was just too low. It didn't make sense. But history said he cannot sustain anything close to what he did. And sure enough, he scored exactly seven touchdowns that season. And then uh, if he went on to have, you know, injury problems the last couple of years, but nonetheless, uh, he was already on his way to uh, some touchdown regression than me. So it's been, uh, uh, you know, I track it every year, Scott. You know, I, I do these articles and I, I leave it in there. The results every year, I just update and show you, here's here's what last year this looked like. And it has an unbelievably high hit rate, especially for guys that are going to come down from high totals. It's it's kind of money in the bank and it can help you just fine tune your rankings a little bit and just get them, get them just right. So you make the right decisions. Absolutely. As mentioned, I'm enamored with this research and it's something that I folded into projections we do at football outsiders. Uh, We're going to put up a couple of tables with the big overachievers and underachievers, starting with the running back overachievers. 
Uh, but the point I'll make here is that we do our calculations probably subtly different from yours, but I think you'll find that the overachievers and underachievers are going to line up pretty well with the guys that you've mentioned. And there are a couple of articles up at ESPN where you dig into those guys and, and who are important. So I encourage everybody to read that, but we'll get into them a little bit here. Again, starting with running back overachievers, the number one guy here from last year, um, according to our calculations, is Alvin Kamara with an 8.7 touchdown surplus, combining both rushing and receiving. So there's a lot there. Um, but honestly, to me, the bigger question with Kamara, too, is like, what happens with the transition from Drew Brees to presumably Jameis Winston or possibly Hill? But is, is Brees being somebody that targeted running back so much? Is, th is that a reason to be concerned about Kamara? Is if the offense is worse, is that a reason to be concerned about Kamara? Uh, I think the offense will be worse. I think that's step one. Yes, that's going to matter. That's going to limit scoring opportunities. And obviously, he, as your, your chart shows, and actually my numbers are exactly the same for him. I see we have some guys that are different, but I'm at <laughs> an 8.7 surplus as well here. So yeah. uh, we're on the same page there. Um, but yes, yeah, so fewer scoring opportunities will lead to uh, fewer touchdowns, some regression to the mean will. Um, and I'm curious about the passing game too. I mean, this is a guy that's had 80 plus catches every year. And yes. when Taysom Hill started last year, those targets were down pretty considerably. Uh, now I, I think it's better for him if Jameis is in there, you know, and he'll, he'll dump it off to him more often than I think Taysom would, you know, he'll run Winston will run a little, but not nearly as much. He'll, he'll throw the ball to Kamara more often, but, uh, and, and look, they will design plays. They'll make sure Kamara is getting the ball in his hands, especially since he's not the necessarily the primary ball carrier they like to split that sort of workload as we've seen with Latavius Murray but um yeah we'll uh I needless to say I expect his touchdowns to come down quite a bit this season I believe yeah. I have him with seven rushing touchdowns so expect a big drop from that total of 21. Yeah so I think it's actually huge that that uh that Jameis seems likely to win this job at this point because when, when Taysom Hill started between weeks 11 and 14 last year Kamara had 1.5 expected touchdowns in those games, just three carries within the five-yard line. Hill had 2.5 expected and three carries as well within the five-yard line. It's just like Hill is taking a lot of that work. And I, I think with Jameis, maybe he won't be checking down to the back as often as maybe Breeze would have. But with him, I think at least the floor is very high. But the major point for drafters to consider is like what it – I think Kamara had maybe 13 more touchdowns than say Ezekiel Elliott last year, but Elliott had more expected touchdowns. It's, I wouldn't count on Kamara to, to like dramatically outscore Elliott if do so at all this season. And that can make a big difference when you're picking fourth in your draft or fifth in your draft, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. No, no question. So next up, Antonio Gibson, a player that I've been relatively down on compared to what I feel like is a fast rising ADP. I'm worried that I'm wrong about this because there's some buzz that maybe Gibson's going to be the next Christian McCaffrey, but also by our measures, Gibson kind of outkicked his expectations with touchdowns last season. And so I'm trying to balance like what was the production last year and what could it have been versus like how much room there is to grow here. So give me your overall thoughts about Gibson. Like is, is the pass catching going to grow a lot? Is, are there things that point you to maybe a top five potential here? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm very high in Antonio Gibson. You know, often throughout the offseason, people say, like, give us a bold take for this season. And mine has been that he would be the number one running back all offseason. I've been kind of planting that flag. So, again, it's a bold take. You know, it doesn't mean it's a likely outcome. I have him ranked just uh, right around 12th on my board. I think he's 13th at this moment. So I do like him a lot. You know, if I can get him early in round two, trying to do that as, as much as I possibly can. Look, this is a guy, remember, he only had 33 carries in college, not in one season, his whole college career. <laughs> Uh, in fact, he worked out with the wide receivers at training camp last year. We didn't even know if he was going to play running back. And sure enough, he was one of the more effective backs in the NFL last season. So 
Uh, and not to mention that we haven't really seen his uh, role expanded as a pass catcher. There's a lot of room for growth there as well. So I think that uh, Gibson's uh, carries will probably go up, assuming he's healthy, of course, this season and his passing game work will as well. Uh, and I do expect a dip in touchdowns, but he'll offset that with with other parts of his game uh, growing. So uh, and also remember, they have a better quarterback situation this season, which could potentially lead to more overall scoring opportunities and kind of up that that expected touchdown total. So there's a lot of reasons for optimism with Gibson. Absolutely. Uh, I assume the answer is no. But does Jarrett Patterson's kind of breakout preseason for the team? Does that factor into this at all in your mind? No, zero percent. You know, sometimes we get really excited for these guys. They get kind of run into the ground in the preseason. They get a ton of reps and it's a great story. But the great story is that they made the team. Right. You know, we we don't know if he's going to play a snap in week one. And I'm sure, you know, based on comments I've heard uh, from the team, you know, it almost sounds from the coaches, of course, it sounds like maybe they'll try to get him a touch here, here or there. But look, if Gibson, McKissick, Barber and Patterson all make the team, you know, is one playing special teams, is one a healthy scratch in week one. I'm not sure we're going to see him too much. Now, if they cut Peyton Barber, you know, then he'll, he'll have a role, but I don't, he's, I don't think he's the threat to Antonio Gibson. I mean, do yeah. we think him running against backups and, you know, he got a little bit of first team work, but do we think that him, you know, making these plays in the preseason on a ton of volume makes him better than Gibson? Does it even make him better in the team's eyes than JD McKissick who added some weight this off season and saw a ton of passing game volume last year? I don't think so. And I doubt the team views it that way as well. So I, I don't know if Patterson just feels like a guy, Scott, that he's going to be on benches and then week one's going to roll around and he's going to play five snaps. And there's going to be all these other guys we want to add on waivers and he's going to be cut loose, right? One of the most mm-hmm. dropped players in week one, if he gets drafted a lot. So, uh, you know, not a guy I'm really interested in, in 12 team leagues right now. Okay. I'm with you there. All right. Next up, Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry, both players that that scored uh, more touchdowns than expected last season. But this is the one where I think you really get into the question of what is skill and what is luck with this. And and by and large, as you mentioned, the the players that exceed their touchdown uh, expected totals end up regressing the following year. But is there anything with the more extreme guys like Chubb and Henry? And I say extreme in the sense that like they're excellent after contact players. Chubb ranks mm-hmm. sixth. yards after contact per attempt. Henry, fourth, 2.89. They they do exceptional in that stat every year. Do you think that these players are kind of exceptions that maybe can keep scoring more than you would expect? Um, I don't think so. Over time, we've seen that it hasn't been the case. And look, Derrick Henry had 17 touchdowns last season. I've been projected with 14, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of that is opportunity-based, tons of volume, and it's going to lead to a lot of touchdowns. So, uh, and, And he had a lot of volume last year, even though he was over his head. You know, his expected total of 13.8 was still pretty high. Uh, But think about this, too. You know, he had 18 touchdowns in 2019. He actually came down one to 17 last year. LaDainian Tomlinson, pretty good running back, right? He's the only running. He's the only player in NFL history with 17 plus touchdowns in three straight seasons. Is Derrick Henry the second guy to do that? Uh, Maybe. But do we bet on that? I don't think so. I don't know why on earth you would you would uh, count on that or, or make a bet on that or put money on the line for that or invest an early fantasy pick on that. You have to expect a step back. It's the it's a safe way to go. Um, so I, I think he'll come back to earth a little bit this season. So what's interesting is in our stats, we have Henry with a surplus of touchdowns dating back to 2016, 1.7 in 16, 0.4 in 17. The workload expands, goes up to 2.5 in 18, 6.5 in 19 in 3.8 last year. So it's like there is a consistency there, but I almost feel like it's really been more usage related than anything else. It's like, if he can be healthy this year, 
I think it's fair to assume that he can lead the league in touchdowns again, but mm-hmm. I think there is a real downside risk here that I think we just, we brush it away because we're like Henry Superman. Um, but you know, it'll hit the end at some point. So I think it's a little bit, you've got to be a little bit nervous to just kind of write him in as having 18, 20 touchdowns, that kind of thing. I think that's That can be a little bit risky. Yeah. No question about it. Also uh, not a factor in the passing game, of course. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if there are some cracks in the armor offensively for Tennessee, remember they lost Arthur Smith too. And uh, he's had his two best seasons under Arthur Smith. Uh, you know, they, John Smith's gone, Corey Davis is gone. I know they added Julio, but you know, he's getting older. He's missed a lot of time. I mean, if the offense starts to, you know, come back to earth a little bit, remember they're number one in offensive touchdowns. The Titans are over the past two seasons tied with Baltimore. If they come back to earth a little bit too, that's going to lead to fewer opportunities for him at the goal line as well. So there's a lot going on here, but yeah, I would project a, a drop still, still a high number. Again, if he's healthy, still a high number. Don't get me wrong. I've yeah. 14, but still a, a down from where he's been the past two years. So digging a bit deeper with the 49ers, a team that I've always found very interesting from a touchdowns perspective, a couple of years ago when they were very healthy, they scored a ton of touchdowns from farther than 10 yards out from the end zone and kind of created an overachieving situation that way. Last year, interestingly, Jeff Wilson was the big touchdown overachiever, and it was sort of the only power back that was in the rotation. He's going to miss a lot of time this season. Enter Trey Sermon, their higher draft pick, a bigger back at six foot one, two fifteen to complement guys like Raheem Mostert is, is 197 pounds. Wayne Gallman and Eli Mitchell, both kind of a little undersized and faster type of players. Does the fact that Sermon is bigger than these other guys affect what you think about him from a touchdown scoring perspective? Yeah, I mean, it helps. I mean, I, I definitely think size is something we need to look at when projecting touchdowns and height and weight are something I definitely utilize, uh, especially for pass catchers, because we've seen a tendency for play callers to lean on those guys as the goal line approaches. So um, that's definitely important. And yeah, anytime I look at a, you know, backfield and see uh, an 195 back a pound back and a 215 pound back, you know, I, I definitely would expect more uh, maybe perhaps, perhaps more reliance on the bigger back near the goal line, but also Wayne Goldman's there. And if he's a involved yeah. too, he's about the same size as Sermon and could be a factor um, you know, I don't know what's going to go on with Elijah Mitchell and Michael Hasty. We'll see how, how do this thing kind of sorts out, but, uh, you're right. If there's, there's a couple teams in this league, a couple offensive minds who know how to maximize running, uh, running back efficiency, even if the overall numbers aren't great, especially for an individual, uh, you know, they, they're overachievers essentially and in efficiency, they kind of break our models a little bit. And Kyle Shanahan is one of those guys. So uh, I think Sermon, you know, I see the ceiling, you know, if most are misses time and he gets an opportunity as that top guy, there's, there's bound to be plenty of good fantasy weeks, but you know, round three running back, there's not a great resume out there for these guys. He's not a clear number one on his depth chart and he's going in the seventh round. I mean, yeah. it's, I, I have not been on Sermon yeah. at all, just mm-hmm. like Michael Carter. Both of those guys have essentially been off my board because they're going way too early. So, uh, you know, we'll see, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, uh, I'll be wrong on those two, but the math doesn't seem to add up for me with either either of them. All right, let's shift gears to some of the running back underachievers last year. This one I teased a moment ago, Ezekiel Elliott, who despite having 13 fewer touchdowns than Alvin Kamara last year, by our numbers, had more expected touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And a big split here was with Dak Prescott healthy last year, weeks one to five, 7.5 expected touchdowns or one and a half a game. That fell to 6.7 over the rest of the season or 0.7 per game. So almost double with Prescott under center. Possible big deal here. Do you think Elliott is a big sleeper here? Uh, 
I don't, I, I don't know if we could go sleeper just because he's going in the, you know, the middle of the first round. Sure. So that's probably the wrong word. Yeah. Yeah. I, have I, him I, ranked I, fourth though. Like that's, I think higher than consensus. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a sleeper for, to lead the league and touchdown, something like that, which uh, was probably what you meant, but yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Um, fourth highest expected touchdown total for me last season tied for first and carries inside the five, which, which I like a lot. Um, but you're right. Only, you know, eight touchdowns. It's a career low for Zeke. We don't expect numbers that low. Um, and, and I don't think people realize just how much he was used last season, right? The offense kind of fell apart when, when Dak went out, but he still ended up top five at running back and snaps, carries, touches, pass routes. And that's three years in a row that he's been in that department. So yes, I think the touchdowns go up. Um, I have him with 12 this season. He had eight last season. Uh, I expect him to bounce back. My only concern really with him is workload. You know, we talked about it with Derek Henry with all the touches he has racked up and it's hard to sustain that sort of usage year after year. Well, Zeke, I mean, you can go through his NFL career and then all the way back to Ohio State. I mean, just tons and tons of touches year after year after year. And that's starting to, to weigh on me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd still draft him and when the time comes, uh, you know, in, in, in the right place in the first round. But I am a little bit nervous, even though he's only 26. Fair. OK, I'm skipping around a little bit for time reasons. But next up, let's jump to Clyde Edwards Lair, who scored three fewer touchdowns than expected. Five actual scores against 8.0 expected ones. It seems like the upside would be tremendous with the Chiefs offense and how many touchdown opportunities they have. But I think there's other factors involved here that I wanted to ask you about. How much does run blocking play a role in sort of these over and under achievers, do you think? And what about quarterback play with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, who tends to throw more than an average quarterback near the red zone? Um, see, that's, that's tricky because they do – they do throw a lot. It's a very pass-heavy offense. We know that, but they also are in scoring range a lot, which is why we've had insane numbers from guys like Damian Williams, right? Yeah. Um, and we had we had great opportunity for Clyde Edwards-Elair last year, right? I mean, the opportunity was there. He just had some bad luck. I mean, think about this. Every single running back who touched the ball at least 205, 205 times last season scored eight or more touchdowns. Yeah. Think about that. Everyone with 205 touches had eight or more touchdowns, except for Edwards-Elair. He had five. I mean, yeah. that's crazy. Huge, that's, huge outlier. Right. It doesn't even make sense. So it, it is bad luck. I know he, he had a lot of goal line carries early early in the season that kind of uh, affected him. And he started to get back on track in the second half a bit. Um, but, you know, it, he. I think that we were kind of on the right track with our expectations for him. Had he stayed healthy and not had the bad touchdown luck, I think he would have come closer. He there certainly would have come closer to matching his uh, his aggressive ADP. You know, I, I don't know if you were buying him in the first round. I thought that was too much, which which was unfortunate because I love him as a prospect. I still like him, you know, and, and he certainly is a, uh, a bounce back candidate. But, um, you know, sometimes things just don't go your way. He had some bad luck and obviously it showed up in his fantasy point total. But I have him I have him uh, bouncing back big time. I have him doubling his total from five to ten this season. You know, we'll see about the offensive line. You know, Chiefs fans will tell you they're in great shape. Everything is hunky dory. They're just I tweeted something about the line the other day and just got torched for suggesting that three, three of their five starters have never played an NFL snap. Yeah. Apparently that doesn't matter. They're good to go. My man, like they're there. That's an elite line. Who cares? Um, doesn't really work that way. You know, we don't know for sure. They've shown well in camp in the preseason. We'll see when it comes down to the games uh, uh, just how well they, they show up. The left side should be very good. Of course, um, with, with Thune and Orlando Brown, we'll see center left or right guard, right tackle. Um, so I'm not, I would say this with Edward Tillier, I'm not thinking about the O-line is a major concern for me. Yeah. I do think the opportunity will be there. The offense will be very good and he'll regress to the mean. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the offensive line is there's upside there. Cause like mm-hmm. it's possible these guys will be better than before. 
The yeah. one thing I'll point out is just that I think they were actually much worse from a pass protection standpoint, especially as they got hurt than as a run blocking unit. They were ranked 14th for the season in adjusted line yards. But of course, that's part of having Patrick Mahomes too, is like that's going to affect how much attention that a back like Edwards Alaire is going to get. So like in my mind, he reminds me of Antonio Gibson in the sense that like there's a really tremendous upside here. But just in terms of like the average expectation, I'm not sure it's fair to say that, yes, this is going to be a running back one type of situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's move our, over to talk about some wide receivers now, starting with the overachievers. And I think there's some guys at the top of this list that I think kind of follow the similar line of questions to the Derrick Henry's of the world, where Devontae Adams had 18 touchdowns, but only 11.3 expected ones. So that's a 6.7 surplus. Tyreek Hill, similar story, 6.6 surplus. And beyond the fact that like when you look at the league leaders, like few guys can go, you know, 16 plus touchdowns every year. I think that's kind of obvious, but like are the best wide receivers like your Adams is in your Hills, are they immune to regression here? Um, or, or are they sort of subject to what every other receiver has to deal with here with the overachievers? Yeah, well, Tyreek's the one that he's really been breaking regression in the mean the past few years, right? There's always somebody that does it. It's very rare. It's like these 99th percentile players that manage to do it for multiple seasons. OBJ in his prime, Gronk in his prime. Uh, you know, so he, he, you know, I could see him doing it again, I suppose. Uh, but again, eventually it catches up to everyone. It'll come back to earth yeah. a little bit. As for Devontae Adams, I mean, look, he has 11 more touchdowns than uh, any other player uh, since 2016 with 58. Uh, but he had gone over, he's gone over 13 only once. That was last season with the 18, which was a career year for him and one of the best we've ever seen from Aaron Rodgers as well. Um, but, you know, we've seen this from Packers receivers before, right? When Aaron Rodgers has been at the top of his game, which he hasn't been the last few years prior to last year, he had that wind. There's a reason they took yeah. Jordan Love, right? He was uh, kind of playing pedestrian ball there for a few seasons. But before that, when you think about Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Greg Jennings, those guys all spiked in a big way like Ray Jennings was I mentioned him at the top like toward the top of the show like is one of those guys that seemed to break touchdown regression there for a few years uh, eventually he came back to earth remember James Jones spiking up and down like this Jordy mm-hmm. Nelson same kind of thing he had some crazy years with touchdowns um, and I, I think like there was probably uh, there was other people in there too I feel like Jermichael Finley maybe spiked there uh, that one season so we've seen that time and time again uh, from the Packers under Aaron Rodgers I think Adams comes back to earth a little bit this season I he might actually be a little undervalued in drafts right now going toward the end of round one, maybe should be a mid round first round guy at this point, but even with a, you know, and then that's the case with touchdowns likely coming down. I'm at 12 this year. He had 18 last season. I think that's about right. I think there can be an assumption that the best quarterbacks can definitely like create these extra touchdowns, the surplus here, which Mm -hmm. well, they obviously create more touchdown opportunities. I think the surplus thing is subject to the same regression, And to kind of get at that point, I was just looking at quarterbacks who had these big surpluses, but over multiple years. So like dating back to 2018. And the list is kind of a weird hodgepodge here where it's like Ryan Tannehill has the biggest surplus of passing touchdowns in that time, 25.8. Mahomes is next to 25.8, or I guess he's tied, 25.82. So it makes it kind of seem like that. But then you got Breeze, Kirk Cousins is fourth, 17.3. Lamar, 16. Russell Wilson, 14. Rodgers himself is just at 7.8. So like Mm -hmm. even the quarterbacks you think of as being the best while they create more touchdowns in general, I don't think they generally lead to these like extra long touchdowns and stuff just on repeat over and over again. So I I think that's where you get at the fact that guys like Adams and Hill maybe are going to have their touchdowns come down, even though they're the best and even though their quarterbacks are the best too. I don't know. Yeah. And you might wonder why that doesn't, that doesn't seem to make sense. Right. But you have to remember 
that if you're a good player, you're generating first downs and moving down the field and every play is another touchdown opportunity and your, mm-hmm. your expected touchdown total is going up as well. So just because there's not a huge gap between expected and actual doesn't mean you're a bad quarterback. It means that you're, you know, it's, it's a combination of both really that you want. You want a high expected total. It means you're in position to score a lot and you want to exceed that obviously because you want to be hyper efficient. Of course, what league history tells us is it's hard to keep up this elite efficiency and continue to beat that out time and time again. It just doesn't yeah. happen. Okay, I think there's a player along these lines that I think you're going to agree with is, with me as a really heavy touchdown regression candidate is Adam Thielen of the Vikings. And it's not just about Justin Jefferson becoming like one of potentially one of the best wide receivers in the league, but Thielen had a really unusual split, having 52.6% of the Vikings end zone targets last year, and then scoring on 76.5% of them. No other receiver was over 41% of their team's end zone targets. So Thielen was this guy that was just getting all of this work near the the red zone and in the end zone. Is that something specific to Thielen, specific to his role in the offense, or is this sort of your classic case of a guy that had a lot more touchdowns than you would expect? Yeah, I think it's partially his role, but also a number that's going to come down. Uh, Believe it or not, he's actually led wide receivers in touchdown rate each of the past two seasons. So it wasn't just last year. Now, Mm -hmm. last year's was off the charts to your point. Um, but he did have 20 end zone targets. I mean, that is a huge number. It was three more than any other player in the NFL. Uh, you know, he is, you know, he actually had 13 touchdowns on those targets. That number is the most the league has seen since Bronk had 13 in 2011. So it's been a long time since someone yeah. hit that mark either. So to your point, we should expect him to come back to earth, but also, you know, he is busy near the goal line. They like to utilize him there. They, fo- they center their targets to two guys, mostly of course, Thielen and, and Jefferson, you'll see some Irv Smith, you'll see some Conklin, you'll see some Dalvin Cook, but those two guys get the bulk of those targets. And as they, the goal line gets closer, they've seemed to have leaned, uh, seem to want to lean on Adam Thielen. So I, I don't think that'll change, uh, but you know, you're going to see more than what did Justin Jefferson have six last year, six end zone targets. Mm-hmm. That number is going to go up. Uh, yeah. Thielen's will come down a little bit. He's still, I still have him projected for nine touchdowns. I still think he's a value in fantasy. So uh, fewer touchdowns, but still uh, decent fantasy production out of Thielen is my expectation. Yeah. So what do you think about the Steelers offense and the wide receivers from a fantasy perspective? Both Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool, I think, had nine touchdowns last season. But Smith-Schuster is actually the one that like had the bigger surplus relative to his expected total from OTD. So like, I feel like the, the general sentiment is that Claypool was sort of a luckier touchdown scorer. But like, that's not the way that I see things, especially mm-hmm. when you actually look at them in terms of like, 215 pounds versus 238 for Claypool is also six foot four. Like it, it seems clear just looking at their bodies that Claypool would be the bigger touchdown scorer. But like, what do you think of this offense and, and you know, Roethlisberger declining and all, all those types of things here? Yeah. First of all, we're off a little bit. I have uh, Claypool just ahead. And actually, if we include the playoffs where Claypool had a pair of touchdowns, that really widens mm-hmm. the gap. I'm okay, sure yeah. you would get the I, same I didn't thing. include the playoffs. In my, yeah, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I depends what I'm doing exactly. Projections, yeah. I'll use a larger sample if I'm just, you know, sure. if I'm comparing season to season, I'll use regular season. But nonetheless, your your point is is right that, uh, you know, Claypool had the 11 touchdowns. Smith-Schuster was two behind with nine. But their, their actual looks were close. If you look at targets and carries combined, Smith-Schuster only had 12 more, which, again, I think that would kind of surprise people. But Smith-Schuster just soaked up so much in the short area, whereas Claypool was getting, uh, you know, the you know deeper targets, what seemed like high-value targets. But Smith-Schuster was certainly plenty busy uh, near the goal line with four more end zone targets. So uh, that's a total fair point. You know, um, I'm worried about the offensive line there in Pittsburgh. I'm worried about them not being a super pass-heavy offense, which they've been. The, la- the past two seasons, Big Ben has played in full. 
I think there'll be more balance this season. That's going to lead to less volume for the pass catchers. Uh, they will benefit from Big Ben never scrambling. That's you know, no scramble means an extra target for these guys. That helps them. So at the end of the day, I'm I'm pretty optimistic. You know, I have uh, Smith Schuster 28th on my board. It's going in about the sixth round. That's about right. Claypool. I haven't had a lot of him. He's also going in the sixth round. Uh, 31st on my board. So a little, a few spots behind. And uh, Deontay Johnson. I'm you know I'm fine with him. Fourth round, 19th on my board. Like him a lot. He was very good last season. So I'm fine with them all. I mean, they were all top 25 last year. I think they can all be top 30 this season. The big concerns are Big Ben's inefficiencies last year, a move to a more balanced offense, and of course, an offensive line that's arguably worse than the NFL. Really a lot to prove there. So uh, there's some pluses. There's some minuses here. Yeah, the bad offensive line, and specifically from a run blocking perspective, is I think one of the reasons why we have like all of their pass catchers higher than ADP, where it's like, they were very extreme from a pass run ratio last year, but like, why is that going to change? I mean, Najee Harris, he, he's great, but he's going to have to deal with an even worse run blocking line on paper than the one that was last place last year in adjusted line yards. So I feel like the quick short passing game that Roethlisberger kind of introduced last year for the team may be here to stay. And that may be good news for a lot of these receivers from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I think uh, philosophically, they're going to try to run the ball more, right? Mm -hmm. I think that with the coordinator change, they bring in Harris. That's the plan. But remember, they were undefeated deep into the season last year with one of the easiest schedules we've seen in a long time. That's not the case this year. I have them with the hardest schedule in the NFL this season. You know, so quite the opposite. Um, I do have them uh, throwing a little bit more overall. Again, I think they were just so severe in terms of their scheme being pass dependent last year. That if they even it out, they ended up they ended up with a pass rate of sixty six percent. I'm at sixty four percent again. Yeah. So, you know, trying to trying to run more, but not as not ahead on the scoreboard as often. I think it leads to just a slight decrease in pass rate. Okay, I'm with you there. All right, let's move over to some wide receiver underachievers last year, where the top two names on my list, AJ Green and Michael Thomas, pretty big names, and I think could have some interesting fantasy potential this season. Green, I think everybody pretty much wrote off after his really bad year with the Bengals last season, but had five, we'll say we had 6.4 expected touchdowns for him last year, only scored twice. His sur surplus or, or shortfall of 4.4 touchdowns there was almost double everybody else on our list. So I'm like, man, maybe Green has a really big back, bounce back potential now as the outside starter um, opposite DeAndre Hopkins with, with the Cardinals. Do you think that bounce back potential exists or are you too worried about you know, declining skills, potential injuries, things like that with Green? Yeah, it's a, a mix of all those things. I think you kind of laid it out pretty pretty clearly. I don't think we're going to get uh, prime A.J. Green by any any means. He's you know Injuries have been an issue for him in recent seasons. He's much older. They drafted Rondale Moore. He's yeah. clearly not the number one with DeAndre Hopkins there. Also, Christian Kirk working in. You know He may start open as the, the top slot guy there. So a lot of reasons to be pessimistic about Green. I only have him scoring uh, about four and a half touchdowns. You know, his expected total was six and a half last year, only at the two. You're right. My numbers align. He was very unlucky and inefficient in that department last season. Some of it was his fault. A lot of it was not his fault. But, uh, you know, again, with the, the lesser role this season, he's not going to get that massive volume that he had last season at times. Uh, it's just I, I, I don't see a huge uptick here just because yeah. of the role. So with Thomas, I think this would have been a cut and dried situation of a player to target because of the shortfall last year. But the fact that he's injured, I think, really throws us in the question. And so I guess, how would you balance that the, the potential for touchdown regression, positive touchdown regression, with the fact that Thomas may miss the first month or maybe even longer into the season? Uh, 
do you think that he's potentially a fantasy value because he'll be available for the playoffs or are you just too scared away? Like, how would you deal with this same situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to avoid him if I can. It just depends where he falls. Like over the past week, his ADP is in the fifth round of uh, best ball uh, drafts, which is way too early. That's I'm not so going to do that yeah. even in best ball. Like there's more appeal in best ball than there is a, a normal league where you have to carry him on your bench or perhaps IR and give up that early pick. But, um, you know, I've met five touchdowns in 11, 11 and a half games for a projection. Um, you know, look, he scored nine touchdowns exactly in three of his first four NFL seasons. So he has a, uh, a decent uh, resume in that department. But remember, there's no more Drew Brees here either. So that's that's a yeah, factor yeah. Uh, as well. Something to keep in mind. Also, it's okay, so he comes back. Does he get hurt again? I mean, he missed a lot of time last year. Does he come back slow? Is this offense struggling at that point? Does he have another falling out with the team and not play? I mean, there's a lot of red flags here with Michael Thomas. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, talking regression, I mean, yes, very unlucky last year. Of course, he was. He had zero touchdowns, which is just totally ridiculous. It was it was really bad luck. Um, I think he'll he'll get back on track in that department, assuming, again, he's healthy and back on the field. But um, at the end of the day, not a guy I'm taking in the fifth round, you know, seventh round. If he falls there, probably still a little early, maybe a little bit after that. There's just so much talent, Scott, at wide receiver. Yeah. You know, it's just not not necessarily worth it right now. Yeah. Okay. A couple more wide receiver questions before we hit the tight ends to wrap this up. Uh, This one actually is a combination of my input and here on Twitch, useful title asks, with us being high on the Pats quarterbacks, which I mentioned that I thought that, you know, Cam looked pretty good too. Jacoby Myers is one of these guys that had a shortfall of touchdowns last season, but the Patriots added a lot of new weapons to the receiving game. So I guess, Mike, do you think that, that Myers is going to increase his value this year because of potential for regression, better quarterback play, et cetera? Or do you think that he's going to lose out by kind of being forced out of the number one role for the team? And uh, do you believe he had a 31% target share in the second half last season? That's ridiculous. I mean, incredible. that's elite. Yeah. Man, if he was in a normal offense with that target share, we'd be drafting him as a top 20 player right now. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, he led the NFL in targets last year, 82 among players without a single touchdown catch. He actually threw two, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, he threw, he threw two touchdowns, but only the three end zone targets. Uh, obviously, we know that that Cam Newton was super busy near the goal line, but um he just he just hasn't had them them chances near the goal line. Will that go yeah. up this season? Yes, I do think that. I think that with Cam there, you're not as excited about the touchdown total. I have him with three right now with Cam projected, as, as mentioned earlier, uh, a little over half the season. Uh, if Matt Jones steps in there, I feel a little better. You know, it's going to be less running, more throwing, more targets, less scrambling. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for these guys. And I know they added some other, uh, you know, other targets into this offense, to your point. But I still think Myers has a good chance to be their number one wide receiver, along with Nelson Aguilar uh, as the, probably the two. We'll see a lot of John U. Smith, Hunter Henry, when healthy, he'll be involved. But at the end of the day, it's not really a standout unit, even though they added a bunch of faces. So I think Myers will remain pretty involved in this offense and the touchdowns will go up. Yeah, I'm on the same page, Mike. I'll say that because we have Cam projected to, to last a little longer as the starter than I think you do and many others do that affects our ranking of Myers. We have him lower than his ADP at 61. Um, but yeah, if, if they switched from, from Newton to Mac, suddenly our, our Patriots projections, it would go from 27.3 pass attempts per game to 33. So mm-hmm. it's a big jump. And I think that would really be transformative for Myers fantasy value. So to me, that's something to keep an eye on here. Um, I, I think he, I have a suspicion that he's going to be the number one receiver for the team uh, wide receiver, at least despite their additions. And then one more question from Twitch. Um, this is not from the charts themselves, but I think an interesting question nonetheless. 
Mike, what do you think about Tyler Lockett this season? And I'll add in as part of that question, given that they drafted Dwayne Eskridge as a receiver in the second round, does that like potentially cut into his work or is that really more looking toward the future? I don't think it'll cut into his work. He should be busy. I'm not too worried about the inconsistencies last year because they did change coordinators. Uh, it was kind of incredible that he scored, what was it, 50-some percent of his mm-hmm. fantasy points across three games, which you don't like. I mean, he was he was not good except for those weeks. He, he won you three weeks. Otherwise, he was hurting you. So um, that bothers me a little bit. He was an overachiever last year, 10 touchdowns, seven expected. Um, still is a very good quarterback, though. Still is a path to a big target share. They just paid him. He's going to – He's not going anywhere, right? He's a, he's yeah. a very good, probably still underrated football player. Um, and he's one of the guys I felt like I was a pinch too low on, you know, earlier in the offseason. He bumped up a, a few spots. I have him 18th on my board. So among the receivers going in about the fourth round right now, which is a, a great place to be. I mean, look at the ADP, the fourth round ADP receivers last year. They all worked out except for one, which was Cortland Sutton, who had a season-ending injury. Everyone else worked out. I think we're going to see something similar this year. That fourth round is a hotbed for wide receiver value. And I think Lockett is right in the smack in the middle of that group. So uh, no, no concerns about Lockett, but remember, even though he's so inconsistent, still was wide receiver eight last season. Yeah, that's true. All right. We have time for a few more tight ends to finish this up Um, for the overachievers. I just want to focus on one guy really. And that's Robert Tanyan because he had by far the biggest surplus by our numbers with 11 touchdowns versus just 5.3 expected touchdowns. This kind of circles back to the Devontae Adams question, but it did seem to me that Tanyan specifically had a red zone role with the Packers, which seems like a very enticing fantasy position given that Rodgers is still playing for the team. But do you think Tanyan faces a substantial risk to score a lot less this year than last year? I do. I have him with six touchdowns. I did a lot of research on this and uh, you know, he's the poster boy this year. Every year is a poster boy for yeah. touchdown regression. I mean, he is the poster boy for sure. 18.6% touchdown rate easily the highest in the NFL last season. The next closest player that had 50 plus targets was Adam Thielen at 13.1. Think about what we talked about with Adam Thielen and him being off the charts. He was at 13.1. Tony was at 18.6. Like that's unbelievable. Uh, I looked at some history here. Look at 2009 to 2019, 29 tight ends had a touchdown rate at eight and a half percent or higher on 50 plus targets and then saw 50 targets or more the next season. Right. So Big involvement back-to-back years. We don't care about the guys that got hurt or whatever it may be. Guys had a back-to-back season with big roles. So they had a big touchdown rate the first year in the second year. So 29 is the sample. 27 scored fewer touchdowns the next season. Uh, Tony was, he was, he had 59 targets last season. That was 22nd among tight ends. That's it right. has to go up this season. And, and that's the kind of the pushback, right? Scott as well. Okay. But he, he played so well, his targets have to go up, right? I looked at that too. And you look at these guys with the huge touchdown rates, the targets do not go up consistently. They do not the the next year. So that's not a lock either. Um, That being said, I think his target share could go up a little bit. I could see it going up a little bit though. They did add Randall Cobb, Um, but he's going to need more volume to, to keep up with where he was last season. So I'm not super high in him. Um, I think I've drafted him in one league so far. He fell a little bit and I grabbed him when there was still some uncertainty with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, a while back, but ninth round ADP is 10th on my board. I mean, that's about right. It's just not a guy I'm, I'm after. I'd take John o. Smith a little bit later. I'm after Logan Thomas in the eighth a lot, you know, so uh, Tunyon's not a guy I'm going out of my way to get, but, you know, should be a lock for touchdown regression to the mean. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing is it sounds like he's nowhere near that elite tier of guys like your your Kelsey's and your Wallers of the world. No. Um, so I think he would have been a lot of people's candidate to kind of join that group. And I think it's important to point out that the numbers suggest that that just isn't likely to be the case. Yes. Yes. Okay. Agreed. Uh, finally, with some tight end underachievers, I think the main one here I want to talk about is Rob Gronkowski, someone that I've been lower on, uh, not because of declining skills per se, it's, it's more that the Buccaneers seem to have so many more options, it, it, you know, receiving targets than other teams uh, between getting OJ Howard back, you know, you add Giovanni Bernard, I think a talented pass catcher at running back. They've got an unbelievable cast of wide receivers that were guys like T- Tyler Johnson, who were really good, can't even see the field. So I was worried that, that Gronk was kind of get a little bit forced out of the mix, but it also looks like OJ Howard is, is not really fully back from his injury from last year, which I think could be a make or break thing here. And Gronk, interestingly, actually underachieved his expected touchdown total last year, seven scores versus 8.3 expected by our numbers. So Mike, how do you sort of make sense of this with Gronk? And do you think that he still has that, you know, top 10 tight end upside given his relationship with Brady, his, his red zone, you know, role, that, that sort of thing, or or are you worried about the too many mouths to feed problem here with the bucks? Yeah, I think they'll feature the three wide receivers and uh, you know, we're finally getting a little optimism with Howard. So we'll see if he he'll be good to go. Uh, Remember Howard actually out targeted Gronk early last season when they were Mm -hmm. both healthy. So, uh, and that could have been Gronk just getting going, right. Of course he was out the previous season, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not worried about that, but Gronk again, he's an example of another guy who, you know, his first six years in the league just totally busted up progression to the mean year after year. Um, aside of when he got hurt in 2013, it was well above his expected total, but then it evened out in 2016. And then ever since then, he's been under. He's underachieved three straight seasons in the touchdown department. So um, the good news is he had plenty of opportunity last year. He led the tight end position in end zone targets. He was second in expected touchdowns, actually sixth in touchdowns. Um, I still think that, you know, especially if, if Howard is slowed, that Gronk can put up a, a, an okay number in that department. You know, it doesn't take a lot to have a, a good, you know, to rank high in, in touchdown catches at the tight end position. I, and in fact, I have him at six. So that puts him right there with guys like Kyle Pitts and Logan Thomas and George mm-hmm. Kittle. Now, I don't think the target volume will be there for him to also be a top 10 fantasy tight end, but, you know, he has it in him to get to seven or eight. But uh, again, to your point, not really high in him, not a guy that I'm trying yeah. to draft this year. Fair. Mike, thanks so much for joining. That was tremendous. Obviously, you have a ton of preseason content up at ESPN, but is there anything in particular you want to point out to our viewers and listeners, how they can catch you, what upcoming work you have, et cetera? Yeah, lots of content up there. Uh, ESPN Plus, ESPN.com. We just put out the 192 today, the 192 players, I think, who should be drafted in in, uh, 16-round, 12-team drafts. So, uh, you know, broken up into tiers. It's a free article right now, but tons of stuff at ESPN Plus, whether it's NFL, uh, gambling, fantasy, all kinds of stuff up there. So, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot to consume, but it's the time, right? We're a couple of weeks <laughs> away from the season. Now's, uh, now's the time. Absolutely. Everybody check out all of Mike's great work. It's tremendous. Uh, from my perspective, thanks for watching us on twitch.tv slash FB outsiders. The fantasy show is every Tuesday at 1 PM Eastern. The football outsiders radio hour with, uh, with Mike Tanier and Aaron Schatz is on Thursdays at 1 PM. And we'll be ramping up that content once the season gets going. Thanks for that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening uh, listening to us on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network as well. We'll look forward to talking to you next time.